0: take your bibles and turn to philippians chapter one philippians chapter one pastor said if i get you out of here by eleven forty-five, that you will love me forever that's what he said um, i don't think it's gonna happen but i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot for somewhere in his normal range so maybe that's a bad thing maybe his normal range is not a good range to shoot for so depends on how long he normally preaches but I don't want to extend our time, even though we've had some more preliminaries than normal. But we're going to be here in Philippians chapter 1. I will go ahead and uh, warn you, I, I've never preached this before. And so sometimes, you know, we repeat messages, right, when we're on the road. But I've never preached this. Uh, this is just something God's been working on my heart about. And uh, I've been encouraged by this text. Uh, sometimes Katie will tell me, I'm looking forward to hearing your sermon. And I'll tell her, well, I am too. I've never heard it. I don't know what it's going to turn out like. So, I hope it uh, there will be a blessing to you and an encouragement. Uh, right here in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up the reading in verse 27. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. We could keep reading, Uh, really, uh, this text just kind of segues directly into chapter 2. Uh, But I don't think we're going to have time to go into chapter 2, so we'll just hold off right there, and I'm going to conclude there, verse 30. But let's open in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I ask that you would please uh, speak through me and help uh, me to be able to communicate this text accurately and clearly. And I pray that we'd be uh, reminded of our responsibility as believers to be able to take the gospel uh, to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned earlier that I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, and my wife is from Southeast Iowa. Well, those are two different cultures, right? So Columbia, South Carolina, for instance, I never prepared for winter there uh, because we didn't have winters, and there be literally winters would come by when we would have no snow, and so it was kind of sad, but we were normal to we were used to that. But Katie's family would prepare for winter and stock up on lots of firewood to keep their house warm. That was foreign to me to even have to think about winter coming, which is good because we're going to the Ivory Coast and there's no winter there either. Uh, That's all right. But another difference is something like boiled peanuts. Does anybody like boiled peanuts in here? Oh my, just a few Southerners. That's so sad. Okay, well, maybe you're all transplants. Maybe that's the way it is. But I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and I love boiled peanuts. I have a hard time passing up those little stands on gas stations that say fresh boiled peanuts. That just sounds so good to me. Uh, And I'll I'll stop and get a whole bag and, you know, snack on those. But Katie does not like boiled peanuts, right? It's a completely different culture, and that just sounds um, nasty to her to taste boiled peanuts. Uh, She'd rather have the normal peanuts. But it's interesting, we could go on and talk about differences in culture, and if you think about a southerner, you think about a midwesterner, you think about a northerner, you think about these cultures. You think about somebody from the Ivory Coast, they're called an Ivorian, and so these people have different cultures and different distinctives, uh, different characteristics because of their culture, because of who they are. But we, as believers, ought to have the same. We ought to have characteristics that mark us as a heavenly citizen. Each one of us as believers has been saved by the grace of God. And because of that, our citizenship is not on this earth. But rather, Philippians 3 and verse 20, Paul says our conversation, what he means there is our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that that is where our citizenship is, and that is where I should be. Verse 27 of Philippians 1, we already read this, but he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. It's a similar word to Philippians 3 and verse 20, although it has slightly different meaning here. He's saying you as believers ought to have a lifestyle, ought to have a behavior that is worthy of the gospel. He even uses the phrase this way, uh, as far as the meaning of the word, he says your conversation it is to behave as a citizen, to behave as a citizen. And that would obviously be a citizen of heaven. So we as believers have been saved by the grace of God and we ought to behave as a citizen. That is how our lifestyle ought to be. So that when somebody looks at us, they recognize certain characteristics that can be marked by one who is a heavenly citizen. Now we're not, just for clarification, we're not saying that if you live a certain way, You're going to be saved. That's not what we're saying. We all know that we're saved by faith. Uh, We're not saved by works. Nor are we saying that if we do certain things, you will preserve your salvation or maintain your salvation. That's also unbiblical. We recognize that our, our sanctification is also by faith. But what we must recognize is that the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ, is cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God will do his part. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God will do his part to sanctify us. But we have to cooperate. It's kind of like riding a tandem bike. If you're out of sync on a tandem bike, you're going to fall over. It's not going to work. I've tried that before I've fallen over when I didn't cooperate with the person that I was riding with. But it's similar for sanctification. You have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about being saved or maintaining our salvation. We're simply talking about fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we as believers are heavenly citizens. We are. So therefore, we ought to live like that. And there are certain characteristics that should mark a heavenly citizen. So Paul describes these characteristics here in verse 27. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh. And that word right there means to be worthy of or appropriate to. Worthy of the gospel, appropriate to the gospel. So every way that I live ought to reflect the gospel of Christ. Think about the gospel for a moment. Isn't it Glorious. 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and chapters 4, those two chapters describe what it calls as the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word glorious is mentioned 17 times in those two chapters. Glorious, glory, that describes the gospel. But I'm afraid it doesn't really describe our lifestyle very often because we don't live in such a way as to reflect the glorious gospel that has saved us already. And so what Paul is saying in this passage, he's telling this church, I want you to live in such a way that you reflect the gospel that saved you, that you reflect the Savior that saved you, that you reflect heaven, which is your home. And so he continues, and he says in the middle of verse 27, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. He's saying, I want to hear of your testimony. I want to hear that you are living out the gospel in your life, that you're living as a heavenly citizen, that I may hear of your affairs. What would that be? That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel or for the faith of the gospel, excuse me. So he says the first mark of a heavenly citizen is one who cooperates with his fellow believers, one who is in cooperation with his fellow believers. We're describing a heavenly citizen this morning. A heavenly citizen first is one who is in cooperation with his fellow believers. Think about that. He's he's describing unity. He says that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. And so first he's describing their unity and attitude. Their unity and attitude. We must recognize that unity is not based on anything like emotionalism it's not based on just getting together because we all want to get together and we all want to get along rather unity is based on truth unity is based on doctrine if you read through ephesians chapters one through three you're going to see a lot of doctrine and then he says in chapter four of ephesians he says now be unified how can you be unified except if you are all unified on that doctrine of chapters one through three it's a similar concept here. We can't be unified if we all just try to get along because we have so many different personalities. Some of us like boiled peanuts and some of us don't. We all have differences. It's going to be impossible for us to get along if we just try to. But what Paul is saying is if we are all grounded in doctrine and the faith of the gospel and in those truths, then we can be unified. And that is where unity is found. But then he continues and he says, He says, striving together for the faith of the gospel the end of verse 27 so not only are we unified in attitude but we're also unified in action we're unified in action so think with me about your partnership with your missionaries i see a whole wall back there of a lot of missionaries that you support and i want to commend you for that for your faithfulness in supporting those missionaries Uh, Philippians chapter 4 describes a relationship between the supporting church of Philippi and the Apostle Paul. And Paul describes it as a partnership. It's a similar word. It is a cooperation where the local church and the missionary partner together for the sake of the gospel. We here as a local church at Lakewood, we, we can't take the gospel to every country in the world. But as you partner with other missionaries then you can do your part to fulfill the Great Commission and taking the gospel to other parts of the world where you would never go yourself, or you may not be able to go, but you're able to partner with missionaries to do that. That's what Paul's describing in Philippians 4. But right here, Paul is saying in verse 27, he says, you strive together for the faith of the gospel. Right here in Harrison, Tennessee. That's our responsibility. Not just taking the gospel to... A, Places around the world, but also taking the gospel to Harrison. There in the Ivory Coast, I considered a needy, a needy mission field where 45% of the country adheres to Islam and 27% of the country adheres to Catholicism. I consider that a viable mission field. But right here, Harrison, Tennessee, is also a viable mission field. You see, we must recognize that everywhere we are is a mission field. It's not that there are certain places that we can uh, stop witnessing, certain places that we can stop planting churches, but rather everywhere literally needs the gospel. Even right here in Harrison, Tennessee, 38% of your population has no religious affiliation. 38%. So that means one in every three people you talk to right here in Harrison don't go to church and don't have religious affiliation. You might say, that's not, that's impossible. There are so many churches here. Well, that's true. But there's still not enough gospel preaching influence here. Because 38% of your population has no religious affiliation. Only 25% of your population adheres to Baptist. But we recognize that not all Baptists are saved. We've knocked on enough doors and talked to enough Baptists. And you ask them, how do you know you're going to heaven? And they say, because I'm a Baptist. Instead of, because I'm a believer. So we recognize not even all Baptists are safe. What I'm saying here is not to discourage you that you live in a bad area. What I'm trying to say we all live in mission fields. That's what we're trying to say. Whether we go to the Ivory Coast and we face maybe more Islam than you face here, whatever the case may be, we all live in mission fields. And therefore, we must all be active in taking the gospel to those around us. Paul says a very powerful statement here. Striving together for the faith of the gospel how do we do that well it takes unity takes unity to be able to take the gospel around the world to be able to take the gospel to Harrison it is impossible for you as a local church to be effective in your partnership with missionaries and in your evangelism right here in Harrison unless you are cooperating together unless you are unified. I'm not saying this because I don't think you're unified. I'm simply saying this because the text says it, and God said to preach this text today, okay? So please understand my heart behind this. I'm not saying, you're not unified. No, I'm just saying we can all work on this together. We can all be striving together for the faith of the gospel. A couple of months ago, I was working on a church platform and uh, helping a church remodel their platform. And I was carrying up some some wood, um, some pieces of lumber out, and I stepped on a nail, uh, and I didn't even see it. I was just, I couldn't see because of what I was carrying, and so I stepped right on the nail, and, um, you know, I didn't think that that was going to hurt me that bad. I thought, oh, it's not a big deal. I kept working the whole day, and my foot was so sore. Every single step for the next several weeks, literally, I felt it, and I was thinking, I wish I hadn't stepped on that nail. I I could still feel it on my foot for many weeks. It was interesting to me how uh, my foot seems like a very small part of my body. It's not very important, right? Uh, but because my foot was out of sync, then my whole body could not function normally. It was just my little little foot. Stepped on a nail. But because of that, for two weeks, I noticed it. Every step I took, it was a nuisance to me. I'm sure you've had similar situations where a small part of your body gets injured, and you notice it. It's similar in the church. When one church member is not functioning properly, The local church as a whole cannot be unified. When you're not in sync with what God is doing in your local church, when there's an area of weakness, maybe some unconfessed sin, maybe a poor attitude, maybe you're just not getting along with somebody else because they're from the Midwest and you're not. Whatever the case may be, there's disunity. And because there's disunity, you cannot properly and efficiently take the gospel to Harrison. Nor can you properly and efficiently take the gospel around the world. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I want to hear your testimony that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The first mark of a heavenly citizen is one who cooperates with his fellow believers to take the gospel right where he lives And around the world. But the text goes on in verse 28. Paul says, And secondly, the second characteristic of a heavenly citizen, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. He's talking about adversity, and he's talking about suffering for Christ, or the potential of suffering for Christ. In verse 29, he says, for unto you, it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And it's interesting, he's describing suffering, he's describing adversity, but he says, if you are a heavenly citizen, you should be marked by confidence in Christ. You should be marked by confidence in Christ, not just cooperation with your fellow believers, but also confidence in the person of Christ. He says, you may face adversity. He describes that in verse 28. But he says, that's normal. That's your normal part of life to have adversity, right? We all face adversity at different times, some greater than others, some more difficult than others, but we all face adversity. We all face trials. But then he says in verse 29, you are suffering for his sake. So he says, your adversity is an opportunity to suffer for Christ. I think about Acts chapter 5 and verses 41 and 42, I believe it is, where the apostles were uh, persecuted for preaching the gospel, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's the attitude that Paul says we should have and can have. That we're facing adversity, we're facing trials for the sake of taking the gospel even. A good thing. But we're going to face adversity. And Paul says, but it's for Christ. And so it's worth it. It's for the name of Christ. Because of what he's done for us, it just makes sense to be willing to do anything for Christ. He says here in verse 29, it's for Christ. And then he even says in verse 30, having the same conflict which he saw in me. And now here to be in me. So he's saying, I've experienced something similar. Uh, Your adversity is... Really, a connection with fellow believers because we have all gone through similar circumstances and similar adversity, similar trials. But once again, it's all for the sake of the gospel and for the cause of Christ. And therefore, it's worth it. But what he's trying to encourage these believers to do is to have confidence in Christ. In the midst of those difficult circumstances, continue to rejoice, continue to have confidence in Christ. We read through the book of Philippians and we recognize that's Paul's theme, joy in the person of Christ. Because of who he is and what he's done for us, it is possible to have joy, no matter the difficulty. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, uh, we are to follow in the steps of Christ. He's the one who suffered for us, and the pattern that he set and how he continued to have joy in the midst of suffering, we can follow that pattern. That's what Peter says there in 1 Peter 2 Verse 21. Let's turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're just going to conclude with this thought here. James chapter 1. I want us to be reminded of uh, just this thought of the, the difficulties we go through in life. And how, despite those difficulties, we can continue to rejoice and have confidence in Christ. James 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He starts with that word, greeting, just to remind them we can be joyful. That's actually the, the root word Their greeting, uh, comes from the same word where we translate our word, joy. It's amazing. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all, joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed." Those few verses there in James 1 are reminding us that the difficulties that we go through, it's possible and it's necessary to continue to rejoice. How is it possible? My circumstance is not fun. I'm not enjoying it, right? All of us could say it's not fun to go through a trial. But what Paul and what Peter and what James are telling us, they're saying it is possible to rejoice when you know Christ. When you know Christ, you can have confidence in him. He has already suffered for us. He has already sacrificed his life for us. And because of who he is and the comfort he offers us and the encouragement he offers us, as Pastor was preaching about on Sunday night, that uh, comfort or Wednesday night, that comfort is available to us in the midst of those difficulties so that we can rejoice in difficulty. And rejoice in adversity. Back to Philippians 1. We're just going to wrap this up. I said there's a lot that could be said in this passage. But I would encourage you to go read it this afternoon or tomorrow morning. Because there's a lot of encouragement here for us. What Paul is saying in verse 27. We are heavenly citizens. And heavenly citizens ought to be marked by certain circumstances. Or excuse me, characteristics. The first characteristic is cooperation with our fellow believers. And when we do that, we can take the gospel around the world effectively, and we can take the gospel to Harrison effectively. The second uh, characteristic is also confidence in Christ. No matter the adversity, we can still have confidence in Christ because of who he is and what he's offered for us. Look at Philippians 3:20. And then we'll close. Philippians 3:20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word conversation once again means our citizenship. Our citizenship. Our lifestyle as believers ought to match that as a heavenly citizen. If somebody were to observe your life, would they say they look more like an American or more like a heavenly citizen? Which one? Which one is more important to us? We ought to fix our eyes on Christ. And yes, live our life here as an American. Yes, vote. Yes, be involved. But ultimately, our heavenly citizenship trumps everything else on this earth. No pun intended there. But it's amazing to think about that and our heavenly citizenship and, and how that is where our eyes ought to be. It's, it's incredible what Paul is saying. And when that's our perspective, that changes everything. I was reading about a, a missionary couple this missionary couple was in Africa, I'm not sure which country, uh, but it was back in the early 1900s, right after Teddy Roosevelt was president, and so they were retiring from the mission field, and this is a time when they were still uh, coming across on, on boats. They weren't necessarily taking airplanes yet at this time, and so they were coming home, retiring from the mission field, and coming into New York Harbor, and they were getting ready to uh, hopefully be welcomed home from their years of service there on the mission field, What they didn't know was that Teddy Roosevelt was also on that boat, and uh, he was uh, just completing a a time of hunting and expeditions there in Africa, Uh, but once they got to New York Harbor, they saw this huge crowd of people that was there to, to welcome the passengers, and they were thinking, wow, we've spent our whole life there in Africa, and this whole crowd is here to welcome us home. And what they didn't realize, they were all there for Teddy Roosevelt, and none of them were there for them. The whole crowd dispersed, and there was no one there to welcome them home. And the husband, having spent his whole life there, was discouraged. And he was thinking, we spent 30 years there or more in Africa, and nobody is here to welcome us home. And his wife turned to him, and she said, honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. And when that's our focus, then everything else makes sense. We don't have to get caught up in the the difficulties of our day-to-day life when we recognize, no, heaven's my home, not this earth. And so what Paul is trying to encourage the church here in Philippi, and he's trying to encourage us right here at Lakewood, he's trying to say, we are heavenly citizens if we've placed our faith in Christ. And therefore, we ought to live like that. We ought to be cooperating with our fellow believers, trying to help everyone hear the gospel so they too can have heaven as their home. And no matter the difficulties we go through, keep our confidence in Christ. We can have joy no matter the circumstances because we are heavenly citizens. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Close our eyes. Pastor pastor's going to come in just a moment, but I want to ask just a couple of questions before we do so. If you're here and you're not a heavenly citizen, you're not sure if you've ever been born again, you can do that this morning. And you can leave here knowing that heaven is your home. The way you do that is by recognizing you are a sinner and your sin deserves death as its punishment but also recognizing that Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he died for you. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you can be saved and you can have heaven as your home. That's just a snapshot of the gospel. There's much more we could explain to you to help you understand those truths. And if you're here this morning and you're interested in that, then please respond this morning and come talk to pastor, come talk to me. We'd love to be able to help you understand that. But if you're here this morning as a believer, is there an area in your life that needs to be changed or confessed so that you can be more in unity with your local church as you take the gospel to Harrison and as you partner with missionaries around the world? And then secondly, have you been growing discouraged, growing weary because of the adversity? Put your eyes on Christ this morning and have confidence in Christ alone because he is our source of strength and he provides the joy we need to continue on taking the gospel around us.